Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. We are MODIS, and we are always looking for men and women capable of helping us restore what has been lost. In return, we offer this, a new enclave and our refuge from the world above. Please, take your time and look around. The Colonel has made great strides restoring this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Welcome back, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. Events in Appalachia are beginning to spin out of control. The super mutants are on the move, an army of FEV-enhanced monsters barreling down upon the unsuspecting factions of the region. For the colonel, that threat is a dagger pointed straight at the heart of everything she holds dear. More secrets are revealed. Stein and Sophia stumble upon hidden chapters of the past. While deep in the mire, Red continues her journey into the unknown and uncovers more of the region's terrifying history. And inside Lilith's lab, her experiments with FEV reveal so much more than she ever expected, and a link to her own past. The fight for Appalachia's future is far from over. The old Emmett Mountain disposal site was a bustling hive of activity as Marion Copeland's scavenger crew separated out highly radioactive ore for decontamination and sorted through other collected scrap as part of their operations in Appalachia. Formerly a very poorly maintained waste disposal site, Emmett Mountain now represented a gold mine of salvage in post-war Appalachia and beyond, if you survived the massive doses of radiation and toxic waste that littered the facility. To deal with the threats of their surroundings, the scavengers relied on their carefully collected and maintained hazmat suits and copious amounts of radix to prevent radiation poisoning, and rat away to get rid of the doses they did get. In fact, Marion herself was signing for a new shipment of protective gear and rat away from her favorite Blue Ridge Caravan trader, Eugenie. Looks like it's all here. The boys were getting a little green and glowy. This'll fix them up just fine. Happy to do business with you, Marion. Though, I'm still not quite convinced that y'all aren't crazy setting up shop on top of all of this mess. What? You mean this little slice of paradise? <laughs> if you want to make the big caps, you have to take the big risks. Did I tell you we had to chase a death claw out of this place? You're kidding, right? Wish I was. And the ghouls don't like us messing around down there either. No offense, of course. Ferals are everyone's problem. Gives us normal ghouls. <laughs> a bad name. I'm sorry about that, Eugenie. You and I should talk about placing an order for some heavier weapons. I don't like the thought of my people getting hurt or worse. I think that can be arranged. I'm supposed to head back to the White Spring for a bit. Might be able to get my hands on some light machine guns, maybe a few rocket launchers. And for you, I'll do a 20% discount across the board. Mighty generous, Eugenie. Got a spring in your step, too. What's got you over the moon? Just happy is all. Appalachia's been good to me, and I feel like giving a little back. Then it's a deal. Hey, if you're headed over to the White Spring, maybe you can see what interest they might have in what we have for sale. I might know someone there I could talk to for ya. 
No promises. But I can be awfully persuasive. Eugenie winked and then laughed. She certainly was looking forward to going back to the White Spring, and none of those reasons involved trade. Boss! Hey, Marion! Both Eugenie and Marion turned towards the sound. One of the perimeter guards on the eastern side was yelling and waving his hands. Crap, might be more ghouls. Marion grabbed her shotgun and Eugenie pulled her 44 pistol as they both ran towards the waving guard. They couldn't hear any of the telltale signs of ferals, such as the high-pitched shrieking they made when they charged their victims. In fact, they didn't hear much at all. By the time the two of them got to the wall, they found the guard helping three people over it, each of them wearing sleek camouflage and carrying rifles. Eugenie recognized one of them, the taller soldier with the close-cropped hair. Jones? Lieutenant Jones? Eugenie? What are you doing here? I was about to ask you the same question. Just what the heck is going on here? Who are you people? I'm sorry for the intrusion, ma'am. I'm Lieutenant Jones from the New Enclave. This is Sergeant Tyson, and this is Corporal Samantha. And I grab! All eyes turned to the large super mutant, pulling himself up over the wall. Charlie, you go round! Graham was pointing at his Brahmin and waving her towards the front gate. The creature looked at him for a few seconds, its two heads both chewing their cuts, before lazily turning and walking away. Good, Charlie. Me get you special green. All right, seriously, just what the heck is going on here? Sorry, ma'am, but this is an emergency. We've got a whole army of super mutants on the way, and I have to get in touch with the White Spring. An army? Best way to describe it, we got ambushed, and they've been coming after us. Thought we lost them a while back, but old Graham spotted them on our tail again. Shit, shit, shit! Why the hell did you lead them here? Ma'am. Don't you dare ma'am me. Just talk. Now. We lost contact with our command. Radios are dead or jammed. Don't know which. This was the closest settlement and best chance to let our people know what's happening. Oh, for the love of... Fine. Follow me. I'll take you to the radio room. You better be able to scare up some help, because if you've brought those things to our doorstep, there is gonna be hell to pay. Me sorry too, Marion. Not mean to cause trouble. Marion rolled her eyes and motioned for Jones to follow her. Eugenie watched them go, then turned to the others. This doesn't sound like super mutants to me. They might be big and bad. No offense, Graham. But organized like this? Never heard anything like it. Eugenie, right? Yeah. Heard of you. All good things, but... Yeah. Organized, smart, the likes of which we've never seen. Graham here says... They're sick or something. But either way, it's bad news for all of us. Oh, hell. That ain't great. I didn't believe it either. But the sergeant is right, and we can't get away from them. Those damn hounds can smell us from a mile away. We afraid. Think they come here. Kill all. That makes two of us, big guy. Not a real big fan of dying. Marion led Jones into the old disposal site control bunker. Crates were scattered all over the place, and several members of Marion's crew were huddled around the radio. Need the radio, Polly? Sure thing, boss. But we're hearing a lot of weird chatter out there. Don't care if they're screaming about alien abductions, just get off the damn set. Polly moved aside, and Jones took a seat. 
putting on the headset and dialing in the operations frequency. This is Game Elite XN561 to operations. Over. The frequency was filled with static, but Jones tried again. This is Gamma Lead XN561 to operations. Over. The static finally cleared, and Jones got a response. XN561. Challenge Oscar Charlie Delta. Romeo Bravo Delta 4. Hold for command, Gamma Lead. Marion was pacing back and forth, looking mightily pissed off. This cloak and dagger stuff was just all bullshit to her. Jones, thank God you're alive. What's your location and status? Emmett Mountain, ma'am. It's just me, Sergeant Tyson, and Corporal Samantha. Everyone else is dead. What happened, Lieutenant? The Supermutants ambushed us, ma'am. I believe they also destroyed all of our listening equipment. I don't know how, but they've gotten extremely organized, smart, and they're currently tracking us. Can you get back to the White Spring? Marion fumed and grabbed the microphone. Now you listen here, whoever this is. Your folks led these monsters to my doorstep, and no way, no how am I giving up our claim. Jones winced as he waited for the colonel's response. And who am I addressing? Marion Copeland, that's who. Ms. Copeland, I would recommend that you and your crew vacate the area. I'm ordering my people home. Now you see here, I knew you stuffed shirts were a bunch of pansy-ass cowards. Jones, not wanting the situation to escalate, grabbed the mic back from Marion. It was something else the colonel needed to know. Sorry, ma'am. However, I don't think we have the time to leave. The super mutants could be here at any time. If we get caught out in the open, we're dead. At least here we have cover and these folks will defend themselves. And... Eugenie's here too, colonel. Lieutenant. Yes, Colonel? Defend your current position by any means available. Expect relief in two days. Do you understand? Yes, ma'am. Good. Please put Miss Copeland back on. Not running after all, stuffed shirt. I don't put my people in harm's way lightly, Miss Copeland. I expect that you will listen to Lieutenant Jones regarding the defense of your claim. Listen to him? Yes. I suspect that your life and the life of your crew depends on it, in fact. Lieutenant? Yes, ma'am. Keep them safe. Keep them all safe. Two days, Lieutenant. If orbital support is available, you'll have it. Keep this line open, and if anything changes, you report immediately. Understood? Of course, ma'am. No time to waste. Good luck, Lieutenant. Over and out. Jones put down the headset and looked at Marion. Miss Copeland, get your crew. Break out every weapon you have, and let's get to work. Mary didn't know exactly what to say, so she didn't say anything at all. Instead, she motioned to Polly to follow her, and she led Jones to their makeshift armory. The whole way, she wished she had talked to Eugenie about those heavy weapons earlier. In the distance, the first howl of a mutant hound was heard, and Mary had stopped walking and started running. No time to waste. Good luck, Lieutenant. Over and out. Valeria put down the mic and tried to keep a tight rein on her emotions. 
Her parents had taught her that rash decisions based on personal feelings were to be avoided at all costs. But this situation had to be addressed before it got completely out of her control, where she might lose much more than just her team. Modus. Yes? Colonel? Please tell me that you have updated intelligence on the super mutants' movements. We do, Colonel. While our attempts to re-establish access to our ground surveillance network have been unsuccessful, we do have data from the Kovac. And? The super mutants are far more numerous than we had originally calculated. They also appear to be organized in several large groups, heading in the direction of nearby settlements. This behavior is beyond any previously exhibited. And the ones headed toward Emmett Mountain? What we have calculated to be scouting parties will reach the location within the hour, Colonel. Damn. And the rest? The main body is following at a distance of several miles. We calculate they will reach Emmett Mountain within three hours. No time to waste then. Modus, is the Kovac able to provide orbital strike support for Emmett Mountain? Yes, Colonel. However, the effectiveness will be limited by the complicated terrain. The margin of error will be high. Do what you can, Modus, but prioritize avoiding any unnecessary friendly casualties. Understood? Yes, Colonel. What is your plan? Jones is right. Emmett Mountain is defensible. I don't care how smart these super mutants are. If we can get enough firepower in place, we should be able to hold the position and inflict sufficient losses to make them reconsider their actions. If reconsideration is actually an option. We calculate a low threshold for success, Colonel. I am aware of the difficulties, Modus. I also know that our resources are currently limited. However, if we don't deal with this now, we could be facing these super mutants at the very gates of the White Spring later. We cannot recommend your course of action, Colonel. Without more data regarding the super mutant intentions. They've made their intentions perfectly clear, Modus. Not to our satisfaction, Colonel. This unusual behavior requires more study. You can study it all you want, Modus, but I am in command and we are not leaving our people out there to be slaughtered. We will also not let this threat go unchallenged. I expect your full support. Do you understand? Of course, Colonel. Good. Notify Captain Reynolds that we'll be taking whatever power armor is available. Team Alpha and Beta are already on standby, but based on what you've detected, Modus, we're going to need more. Has Major Stein returned yet? The Major is still near Charleston, Colonel. Damn, damn! Update him on the situation, Modus. We need him back here as soon as possible. Yes, Colonel. Valeria thought for a moment before turning to the duty officer. Captain, what other teams are currently at the White Spring? Team Theta just got back from assignment. Omicron is taking on new recruits, and Tau is supposed to start caravan guard duty today. All right. As of this moment, they are active. Have the team leaders report to me in 15 minutes, and the members start pulling weapons from logistics. The bigger, the better. Yes, ma'am. Right away, ma'am. Modus, 
Download all updated intelligence on the super mutants and their location to my terminal and update the threat board. Send notice to all our teams and field operatives. Tell them to be on the lookout for any other unusual super mutant activity. Yes, Colonel. The operations floor was now a hive of activity as new orders were relayed to both the internal teams and out to the field. Valeria looked up at the large view screen which showed the current map of Appalachia. The former super mutant quarantine zone was now updated as large digital arrows showed the mutants advancing in all directions from their former territories around Huntersville and West Tech. She narrowed her focus to the one arrow pointed directly at Emmett Mountain. She felt a cold lump in the back of her throat. I'm coming. Just hold on. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now. On the southeastern side of Charleston, near where the Somerville Dam used to be before it was blown up by David Thorpe's raiders, stood the mansions of the rich and powerful of Appalachia. There was the Hornwright Summer Villa, Sugar Maple, the Torrance House, and of course the famous Riverside Manor. Before the war, it was considered an honor to receive an invitation to the annual Mistress of Mystery Gala charity event held by Shannon and Frederick Rivers. An opulent affair, Shannon took great pride in her attire, a formal gown done up in mistress style, while sometimes Frederick would take the dressing as a silver shroud. After the bombs dropped, no one knows exactly what became of the Rivers family. There have been rumors, of course, but the Scorched ensured that no one was left alive to repeat them. Instead, their fate, along with all of those of the great houses you got at the landscape, was lost to time. Wow, I can't believe we're here. I'm pretty sure this place was something else back in the day. It's still pretty amazing, and reasonably intact. Well, except for that part over there. Yeah, looks like there might have been a fire. I hope the rest of the house is still intact. I'd hate to come all this way and show you a burnt old house. Andrew, it's already so much more than I ever expected. I know I've been talking your ear off about the mistress, but you have no idea how much she really means to me. Sophia, I can imagine. That look in your eye and the way you smile when you talk about her. Obviously, the character was very important to you. Andrew, now I'm blushing. Commander Degure, if you were any more adorable, I'd be forced to kiss you. You don't need a reason to kiss me, you know. Okay, now I'm the one blushing. Thank you, Andrew, for everything. I honestly don't know where I would be without you. Sophia, you're welcome. Well, we came all this way... Let's see about getting you a guided tour of the Mystery Mansion.
The mystery mansion. I like it. Stein led Sophia up the long driveway, scouting for a way into the mansion. The windows were boarded up, but the front door looked intact, and if they were lucky, still unlocked. Hold up a second. I know we cleared the area a while back. I don't want to take any chances. Just stay behind me, and remember, be ready for anything. Aye, aye, Major. Stein chuckled and pulled out his 10mm pistol. It worked better in tight spaces than his rifle, and it had a silencer just in case. The door was unlocked, and Stein winced as the hinges screeched as it opened. Well, there goes the element of surprise. Stein could hear the telltale sounds of Scorched waking up. <laughs> Inside us? Looks like the rivers have guests, Sophia. Stay quiet. Sophia nodded and thumbed the safety off her own pistol. Crouching low, Stein swept the landing and motioned Sophia forward. The interior of the house was dark and had a musty smell of mold, mildew, and decay, permeating everything. Sounds like they're upstairs. Put a post up over there, behind that pillar. I want you to make some noise. Draw them out. Okay. Just say when. Stein crept up and behind the old pillar. He had a clear shot of the stairs and whistled to Sophia. Looking around, Sophia picked up a couple of burnt books from the floor and tossed them, one at a time, at the base of the stairs. The Scorched immediately ran towards the sound, pausing briefly at the top of the stairs before running down. Stein took careful aim and squeezed the trigger. The sound of the silence around lost against the background noise. The first Scorch stumbled and fell down dead before the others realized they were under attack. Firing again and again, Stein killed all six of them, leaving their bodies in a pile on the floor. He ejected the magazine and slapped a fresh one home and listened carefully, just in case they were more around. Did you get them all? Stein put his finger to his lips before reaching down and picking up another burnt book. He heaved it up to the top of the stairs, where it thunked against the wall before dropping to the floor. The house remained eerily quiet. I... I think we did. Good shooting, Andrew. I'm impressed. Oh, that? That was nothing. Like shooting fish in a barrel. Scorched aren't very smart, but they do smell something awful, even when they aren't dead. But there's still a chance a few more might be around. So just keep an eye out, okay? Of course. Good. Now, let's see what secrets the Mystery Mansion might be hiding for us. As the two started to take in their surroundings, they were amazed by the size and scale of the mansion. There were numerous rooms, just on the ground floor, with at least two floors above. In the main entranceway above the staircase hung an old but still legible painting. Wow, it's the Mistress of Mystery herself. Is that Shannon Rivers? The one and only. I recognize her from the old Unstoppable posters. The painting was impressive, even covered in a layer of dust and soot. Shannon Rivers, as the Mistress of Mystery, seemed to be looking down at them, a real relic from the past. Well, she certainly looks the part. I would sit by the radio in my mistress mask and listen to every episode. <laughs> I still can't believe I'm standing in her house. Who knows what kind of memorabilia we might find lying around here. You could pick up some really nice pieces for your collection. Oh, uh, I don't know if I could do that. It's like sacrilege. Sophia, the best way you can honor your heroes is to remember them and keep their spirit alive. Well, I guess a small souvenir, or two, couldn't hurt, right? That's the spirit. Come on, let's do some exploring. The two started to make their way through the river's mansion. The decor, though old and musty, had been of the highest quality available before the war. There was a well-appointed library, sitting room, full kitchen, and living room. 
Interestingly enough, it all looked like it had been occupied for quite a while after the war. The kitchen had a lot of old, spoiled food, but all of it was of the post-war variety. Rotted vegetables and bones of animals mutated by the radiation of the nuclear exchange. They found more evidence of habitation upstairs. Several of the bedrooms had been converted to bunk rooms. As far as either Stein or Sophia knew, the Rivers only had one child. But what they saw here, it looked like they might have had 20 or more. Were they refugees, maybe? Maybe. Let's keep looking. The entrance to the guest quarters were on the second floor, connected by a walkway. There had been a fire, which hadn't spread far enough to destroy the building, but the damage was extensive on the interior. As they picked their way through the debris, they found themselves in another bunk room with an active terminal. I can't believe this still has power. You'd be surprised. They definitely don't make them like this anymore. Well, I mean, no one makes them anymore, but... Oh, you know what I mean. Sophia was easily able to crack the password on the terminal, which contained a series of internal network entries, communications, and announcements. All of them were dated after the war, and Sophia started to get a better picture of what had gone on here. What did you find? From what I can tell, the rivers were here after the war. It appears they took in refugees, all girls by the sound of it, and were trying to make a go of it here. By the looks of this place, they seem to be doing really well. I guess the Scorch probably got them like they did all the rest. Real pity. At least they tried, Andrew. From what you've told me, a lot of folks got real selfish after the war. Like those raiders. That's true. Ow! Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Ouch. I kicked something. What is that? A footlocker? Stein pulled the old footlocker from underneath the partially burned bunk bed. The lock was rusted, and a quick smack with the butt of his pistol was enough to get it open. Inside were a set of women's clothes, along with a set of books. But underneath, there was something entirely unexpected. Oh, would you look at this? Oh, what is it? Stein picked up the two pieces of clothing, hidden at the bottom of the locker. One was a veil, rather heavy in fact, but the other was a dress, green with black stripes and frill. Wait, that's the real Mistress of Mystery costume. I don't think this is a costume. This material is... This is ballistic weave. Ballistic weave? Brand new stuff. Came out just before the war from the DIA. Bulletproof fiber you could sew directly into just about anything and create something akin to combat armor. Check it out. Sophia took the veil and dress, turning them over and inside out, and weighing them in her hands. This is incredible. I can barely tell the difference, but you're right. It weighs more than it should. You say it's bulletproof? Really? Bulletproof? Laser-proof, probably good at protecting against explosions, too. And this veil, same thing. It also looks like it has air filtration, too. Someone actually made the Mistress of Mystery outfit equipped with actual secret powers? I guess they did. But the real question is, why? Now there's a real mystery, Andrew. Can I... can I try it on? Here? Well, <laughs> maybe not right here, but when else will I get the chance to be a real mistress of mystery? All right, all right. Let me just sweep the rest of this wing. Then we can go back and I can give you some privacy. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Andrew, for indulging me. Stein just smiled and gave Sophia a kiss on the cheek before checking out the remaining burnt-out rooms in the guest wing. Sophia looked through the rest of the footlocker and noticed that one of the books was a journal or diary. She didn't have enough time to read it now, but she carefully put it in her backpack and waited for Stein to return. All clear. It's a real mess. 
If I didn't know better, it looks like someone tried to burn the place down. There are empty gas cans all over the place. A mystery inside a mystery. Alright. I'm going downstairs to poke around. I bet there's a wine cellar or something. Maybe we could find a nice bottle of champagne to celebrate. And, um, what would we be celebrating, exactly? What would we be celebrating? Why, your promotion to Mistress of Mystery, of course! Sophia laughed and pushed Stein out of the room. He chuckled and walked back out and downstairs. He had this little ache behind his eyes, not like his normal headaches, although he never really gave them much mind as his thoughts quickly turned elsewhere. After a quick look around, he wasn't able to find anything that looked like a cellar entrance, so he went back into the library, swearing he saw a bottle of scotch on the mantel. Stein was pulling out various old leather-bound books when he heard Sophia coming down the stairs. Ready or not, here I come. Stein's mouth dropped when Sophia walked into the room. Wearing the veil and the Mistress of Mystery outfit, she was absolutely stunning. Sophia did a quick twirl before skipping into the room. So, what do you think? Am I ready to fight the forces of evil? That and a lot more. Wow. How does it feel? Not as heavy as I would have thought. It's just about my size, too. Guess losing a few pounds during my nap in space didn't hurt. The veil is really nice. You were right. I can barely smell anything bad. You look amazing, Sophia. Better than Shannon Rivers herself. You really think so? Absolutely. I'd play the Silver Shroud to your Mistress of Mystery anytime. Thank you. But be careful. I may take you up on that. Why don't you come over here so I can get a closer look? What was that? I... I don't know. Sophia, come over here. Sophia walked up next to Stein, and when she was close enough, the wall moved, revealing a secret door. No way. Now that's a mystery. A mystery inside a mystery. Inside a whole other mystery. The two stepped forward and found themselves in a long concrete passage with stairs going down. Stein felt the walls. They were certainly solid. There was a thunk as the door closed behind them. There was a large red button that Stein was sure was a means of opening it from this side. He felt the slight throbbing at the back of his head, but he tried to pay it no mind as they started walking down the corridor. I can't believe it's even better than I imagined. What on earth can this be? It doesn't feel like a wine cellar. I have no idea, Molly. Molly? Sophia! I, I, I meant Sophia. Sorry, I just... a little fuzzy. Sophia put her hand on Stein's shoulder. Are you okay, Andrew? Do you need to rest? Uh, fine. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Let's just keep moving and see where this goes. Their footsteps echoed down the hallway. The pain in Stein's head increased with every step forward, and he started seeing flashes of memories. One where he was here, the next when he was back at the bunker. When he saw Sophia ahead of him, suddenly it was Molly, then Sophia. Putting his hand to his head, Stein tried to sort out what was happening to him. Would you look at this door? Oh my goodness. It can't be. 
Sophia stepped forward into a large room filled with a giant computer system, nearly rivaling the one she had seen at the White Spring, with doors along each wall leading to other rooms. But it was the symbol hanging from the ceiling that now had her full attention. It's the Mistress of Mystery. This is her sanctum. I must be dreaming. This can't be real, can it? It was very real. The highly stylized emblem of the Mistress of Mysteries was inscribed in a large metal plate. From what Sophia remembered from the comic books and the old radio show, this room was a spitting image of the Mistress's secret headquarters. For Sophia, it was stepping into another world. Superheroes weren't supposed to be real, were they? Can you believe this? Oh my god, Andrew! Are you okay? Stein dropped to his knees and held his head in his hands. He was bombarded with sights and sounds, memories he didn't recognize, until finally his vision began to clear, and he opened his eyes. Molly? Molly? Where are you? Andrew? Who are you? Where's Molly? Modus? Modus, what the hell is going on? Something's wrong. You need to calm down. I have no idea who you are, or why you're wearing that ridiculous outfit. It's me, Sophia. Andrew, stop this. You're scaring me. Only Molly calls me Andrew. I'm Sergeant Stein of the Enclave. I don't know how I got here, but I need to get back to the White Spring. Santiago and a bunch of the other traitors are about to make a horrible mistake. I need to stop them. Andrew, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Sophia, or whatever your name is, I don't have time for games. Stein pulled out his pistol and pointed it directly at Sophia. I, I don't know what's wrong with you or what's happening, but we can, we can fix this. You are going to lead me out of here. Then we're going to go back to the bunker so I can put things right. Find Molly and you can sit in a cell in the break until Eckhart decides what to do with you. You're talking crazy, Andrew. You told me Eckhart was dead. Molly is dead. Shut up! Just shut up! You're just trying to confuse me. Unless... Santiago put you up to this. You're working with them, aren't you? Stein took a step forward and put the pistol in Sophia's face. She was utterly confused and scared. Something was terribly wrong with Andrew. It was like he had been transported back into the past, which made no sense to her. She tried to concentrate. What would the Mistress of Mystery do? Okay, okay. I'm putting my hands up, see? That's better. <laughs> no funny business. You lead me out of here. Got it? Yes. Whatever you say. Sophia turned and started walking towards the back of the large room. When Stein didn't say anything, she realized he didn't remember how they got there. Otherwise, he would have corrected her and tried to open the main door. Sophia glanced to her left and saw a wrench that had been left on the table. Looking back, she saw Andrew starting to get distracted by the large computer system and the other parts of the facility. This might be her only chance. Pretending to trip, she fell against the desk, taking the wrench into her hand. Stay on your feet! Sorry about that. Just as Stein was about to say something else, Sophia whipped the wrench around and knocked the pistol from his hand and pushed him to the ground. Hey! Stop! Sophia turned and ran. She needed to get back to the door and out of there, then maybe try to figure out how to knock some sense back into Andrew. Stein scrambled for his pistol. Stop! Stop it right there! Get back here or I'll shoot! Sophia saw Stein get back up and damned if he didn't have that pistol again. 
She had to run faster. Sophia flinched when she heard the ricochet of a bullet off a nearby filing cabinet. That was a warning shot. I won't miss this time. Stop this, Andrew. This isn't you, and you know it. Sophia got up and ran, faking left and then running right. Stein, true to his word, fired again and didn't miss. <gasps> Staggered by the impact, side aching, Sophia tripped and fell near some large blue tubes at the rear of the room. Stein walked up and pointed his pistol at her. You shouldn't have run. Whoever you are, you shouldn't have run. Andrew, but I... I... I love... Don't do this. Stein started to squeeze the trigger when the tube in front of him suddenly opened with a hiss of air and dust, temporarily blinding him. A figure in a dark cloak stepped out of the tube and pointed a strange-looking weapon at Stein. Who? There was a flash and a stream of gas hit Stein right in the face. He coughed once, <coughs> twice, then his eyes rolled up and he fell over on the floor, his pistol clattering away. Sophia was both relieved and scared at the same time. She reached up and felt where she had been shot, but there was no blood. Sure enough, the Mistress of Mystery outfit was bulletproof. Although she might have a nasty bruise, she was okay. The dark figure walked up to Andrew and reached down, pressing his fingers against his neck. Seemingly satisfied, he turned around and approached Sophia. Scared, she scooted backwards. It looked like one of those mole miners, and it still held that weapon in its hand. The figure stopped, slipped the weapon beneath its cloak, then reached up and pushed the cloak back from his head, revealing the visage of an old man with a kind face. I'm sorry, miss. This must have been quite terrifying. You're safe now. That man can't hurt you now. Is... is Andrew okay? Andrew, huh? Well, Andrew's unconscious. He'll be that way for a few hours. Won't remember a thing, either. A trick of my own design. Well, sort of. Thank you for saving me. I don't know what happened. One minute Andrew was fine. And then, it was like he was a different person. I'm sorry, miss. I don't know either. And you? Are you okay? I'm fine, I think. And you can call me Sophia. I'm sorry. This is just all so confusing. We were here to sightsee. I was a big fan of the Mistress of Mystery. And then I feel like I'm in the pages of an Unstoppables comic book. The man smiled and then looked around with a wistful look on his face. Haven't been here in years. I built this place for my wife, you see. Wait, you're not... You can't be. Everyone here died years ago. No, almost, but not quite, miss. And yes, I'm Frederick Rivers. Shannon was my wife. This was my gift to her, back when they were going to make the Mistress of Mystery TV show. We had the money, more than we could have ever spent. To be honest, after the war, well, Shannon decided to put this all to good use. But that's a very long story. And first, we need to help you and your friend. She became a real mistress of mystery? Oh yes, Sophia. That outfit you're wearing, and the veil, things I made along with so much more. This part of my life died a long time ago. Maybe I should have come back, but it was so hard. Anyway, like I said, that's a very long story. Here, help me get up. Sophia helped Frederick pick up Stein. It wasn't easy, but Frederick explained they only needed to get it back to the tube that he had used to enter. It was a secret entrance he designed to allow the mistresses to come and go without alerting anyone. Once inside, Frederick pushed a button, and Sophia felt the whole tube rise, and they soon exited out of an old Pulaski preservation shelter down the road from the mansion. 
This is incredible. It really was. Those were great days, when we really thought we could change things. Frederick and Sophia drag Stein down to an old concrete utility building. Once inside, they lay him down on the ground. Sophia checked his vitals. He was still breathing normally, and his heart rate was strong. Will he be okay? Physically, very much so. The gas is designed to merely incapacitate. Mentally, I haven't the foggiest idea. Frederick, how did you find us? Frederick sat down and put his hands on his knees. I was following you. Why? You were in Welch, and I'm sorry to say that some friends of mine came into conflict with you. Those mole miners, you mean? They were your friends? Sophia, it's hard to explain, but they aren't what or who you think they are. When my wife died, along with the others, they saved me. If not for them, I'd be dead. To repay them for their kindness, I've been helping them. I honestly have no idea what's going on right now. It's like everything I knew even an hour ago, it's all changed. Appalachia does that. Nothing is what it seems. Now, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to take a few precautions. Just in case. What do you mean? Frederick took out a length of rope and tied Stein's hands and legs. Is that really necessary? Better to be safe than sorry. I guess that makes sense. I... God, I hope he's okay. Also, I, it would be best if I'm not here when he wakes up. And Sophia, I will also apologize. For what? For this. <laughs> Sophia, I think Shannon would have really liked you. The secrets of the mansion need to stay hidden. For now. Frederick hesitated over Sophia's unconscious form but shook his head and, as considerately as he could, changed Sophia out of the Mistress of Mystery garb and back into her traveling clothes. He made sure that both she and Stein were comfortable, removed any other evidence of their visit to Riverside Manor, and then disappeared into the shadows to keep watch. A few hours later, Stein woke up with a splitting headache. Oh, what happened? Sophia opened her eyes and rubbed her temples, feeling the effects of her own headache. Oh, Andrew, where are we? No idea, Sophia. And why am I tied up? Tied up? Sophia got up and walked over to Stein, and sure enough, she found him with rope around his hands and feet. Can you get these off from me? Of course. Here you go. Do you remember what happened? Not at all. You? Nothing, really. We were almost to Riverside Manor, right? We were. Hold on a sec. Stein got up and walked to the door of the building. He looked around and then came back. Well, we're in the area. I... I just don't know. Strangest thing. Maybe I blacked out again? One of my headaches? And me? Sophia just shrugged her shoulders. Maybe we both need to see Dr. Harefield. Although, how did you get tied up? Before Stein could comment, his Pip-Boy beeped. Major Stein, you have been... out of contact. Sorry about that, Modus. We were on our way back, 
But we had a stop to make. Your presence is required at the White Spring. You will return immediately with your companion. Is there something wrong, Modus? You will return immediately. Of course, Modus. We also retrieved something interesting from the USSA capsule. It may help explain what's going on with Sophia's headaches. Something called deep sleep. That is satisfactory. We have questions which require explanation. Report to us upon your immediate return. Whatever you say, Modus. We're heading back now. Sophia was concerned, but Stein seemed fine. They got back up on the road and passed Riverside Manor. Sorry that we didn't have time to stop, but I promise we'll be back. It's okay. I understand, Andrew. The mission comes first, right? I think I would have loved it. You too, but another time. That's right. Just keep an eye out. As the two continued north, the hooded figure of Frederick Rivers watched them go. The secrets of Riverside Manor were safe, for the moment. Events in Appalachia were accelerating, and the dangers of Project Oni were growing every day. Frederick threw his cloak back over his head and started walking south. He needed to talk to his friends. Maybe it was finally time to emerge from the shadows. data should help fill in the gaps and allow us to progress to the prototype stage. You will investigate integration with the Somnus Protocol, Doctor. Of course. I have a working theory, but it will require more tests. Additional subjects will be acquired. From where? That is not your concern, Doctor. What he means, mate, is mind your own business. Ah, oh, of course. I need to recalibrate the systems for the next series of tests. Please let me know when the deep sleep files are here. Yes, Doctor. Shadow. Yes, Modus? When our asset returns, he must be brought here immediately. Is there a problem? Unknown. Contact with the asset was lost for a period of time. Lost? Disappeared? Didn't think that was possible, Modus. It is not possible. This must be investigated. The asset is vital to our efforts. Malfunction must be Rectified. Of course, Modus. Anything else? Inform Captain Reynolds we wish to see him. There is a matter of chain of command we wish to discuss. Right away, Modus. Then I'll head upstairs and bring those samples back. Any requests? Ensure they are 
disposable assets. That won't be a problem, Modus. No problem at all. I'm Chris. And I'm not! We're not doing that routine right now. We're trying to do an advertisement. Oh, fine. I'm Sir Aloysius Pernicious, the better half of the team at One Wall Comedy. Okay, I wouldn't go that far. Anyway, come check us out on YouTube. We're your number one source for independent sketch comedy on the internet. Yeah, because that's such a big market. All right, come on. Let's get out of here. I'm getting paid for this, right? Don't push your luck. Growing up in the mountains of eastern Tennessee, Red was no stranger to rough terrain. Thick forests, deep ravines, and steep hills were part of the scenery and easily traversed by the folk who knew the way around. The mire in Appalachia was something else entirely. The trip up from Big Bend Tunnel had been fraught with danger, both from other folks and the wide variety of creatures she'd had the distinct displeasure of running away from. It had only gotten worse after she got north of Abby's old bunker. There were no more roads to follow, and the swamps and forests just seemed to go on forever ahead of her. It didn't help matters that her maps were nearly useless. They had little enough information to begin with, but with the ever-changing nature of the terrain, whether through floods or the growth of the blasted strangler vines, she was traveling via dead reckoning. Needle in a haystack, my ass. Two miles. That's what Vinny had told her. Red had to get within two miles of whatever it was she was contracted to find. So far, all she found was a whole lot of nothing. Well, nothing except monsters and raiders. It was darn near a miracle that Red had made it this far. But she never did know when to quit. That was a lesson the Tennessee Reavers learned after they killed Red's parents. Oh, they were out for blood, of course. But they'd have to find her first, if she managed to survive her current predicament. I swear, next time I see Vinny, I'm going to skin him alive. After he pays me, of course. Red scratched the side of her neck. The explosive collar still chafed and it had rubbed her skin raw. Every once in a while, it'd give her a quick beep or two, enough to remind her of just what was going to happen if she didn't complete her contract. Red was now heading roughly northwest, trudging through knee-deep water and doing her best to stay as quiet as possible. It was going to be dark soon, and she was trying to find a safe place to hole up for the night. Yay. Looks like we'll be sleeping in a tree again. Unless she found something else, like another bunker or structure, Red would have no choice but to use her makeshift hammock again. At least it put her out of reach of most of the creatures, but it was hell on her back. Up ahead, Red could see something through the trees. Didn't quite look like anything she'd ever seen before. Mighty darn big to be anything but a place to stay. Red made her way slowly forward, trying to get a look at, well, whatever it was. It was hard to make out, but it was huge, easily the size of a small building, which is exactly what Red hoped it was. Oh, oh my. What is that smell? No stranger to some of the worst smells imaginable. In fact, most of them had been found right here in Appalachia. But this was god-awful. It was like someone shoved a load of rancid fish right up her nose. Red barely held down her bile in her throat and tried to take another step forward. Suddenly, there was a large roar, and what Red had thought was a building was in fact an enormous creature that reared up out of the swamp. Oh, shit! Red felt a strong pair of hands wrap around her. 
one around her mouth and the other around her midsection. Shh. I ain't gonna hurt you, but you gotta be still now. Red tried to struggle, but the hands held firm. She was about to try biting when the creature turned in their direction. Crap! Quit your squirming unless you want to be dinner! Red was pulled backwards and found herself behind a large, partially sunken tree. She could hear the thrashing of the creature as it moved around in the swamp. You can't see worth shit, but if she hears you, we're both dead. Got it? Red slowly nodded as the sound got closer and closer. The person holding her pulled her down and they both pressed their backs against the tree. While the hand was still firmly clamped over her mouth, she finally got a good look at who was holding her. Swamp Rat. That was the first thought that went through her head. Ratty clothes covered in mud, scraggly beard, piercing eyes, and an old fisherman's hat which had seen better days. He wasn't looking at her, but straight up, and he looked scared. Red looked up too, and barely held back a scream. Towering over them was this thing, a massive crab-looking monster with dozens of little arms flailing in the air, pawing at nothing at all, was also dripping viscous slime that sizzled when it hit the dirty water. The creature seemed to be sniffing the air and waved its giant head back and forth. Somewhere in the distance, there was a bellowing scream of some other enormous monster, and Becky turned and started thrashing off to the east, followed by a host of Mirelurks in their spawn. Red realized she had been holding her breath and finally exhaled through her nose, trying to make as little noise as possible. The man turned her to face him. Gonna let you go, okay? But don't think about running. Old Becky could be right back. Got it? Red slowly nodded and the man released his hand, then held up both hands, waiting to see what Red would do. She took a step back, but didn't run. I'm Red, and, uh, much obliged. Red! Like the color, right? Yes, like the color. Groovy. Darling, we are gonna get out of here, right? Before the big-ass monster comes back and eats us? Oh, yeah. Sorry. It's the chems. Or not taking my chems. Uh, Makes things fuzzy sometimes. I'm Daryl, by the way. Follow me. Stay low and try not to make too much noise, okay? We do not want to get eaten. It's bad. Real bad. Red rolled her eyes. She was mighty grateful for this Daryl character, but like her pa used to say about Uncle Remus, He was a few hoses short of a still. Daryl led her further north, sidestepping around strangler vines and past wreckage and ruins of tractors, old farmhouses, and abandoned settlements. Just what the hell happened around here? This weren't always like this, was it? Guess not. Nothing was like anything before the bombs. It was like this when I found it. Best place to hide, though. No one looks for me here. Not so bad if you don't get dead and all. Hmm. You ain't from around here, are you? The Big Apple. Was an ad man. Big office on 7th ad. Hey, ever see those red rocket robots? The service bots? I wrote the scripts. Made a lot of money for that one. The Big Apple. New York City, babe. The city that never sleeps. Never heard of it? You an alien or something? Not that it matters, but you're not an alien, are you? Red squinted at Daryl. Forget a few hoses. He was missing the hoses, the screws, and probably the whole still upstairs. No, darling. I ain't no alien. And New York? Maybe I heard of it back in the day. I ain't never seen no big city before. And ain't seen no Red Rocket robot either. That's a shame. Some of my best work, really. Red Rocket, Slocum Joe, even got some Nuka-Cola work. Some big ad for a roadshow or carnival. So, uh, how'd you end up here, Mr. Ad Man? 
camps. Damn mentats, daddy-o. Maybe just a smidge of day-tripper. Needed it. Had to keep those ideas coming. You don't get ahead in the air game if you're not shot. Lots of competition. Spies! Money getting thrown around to buy deals. Real cutthroat. You think raiders are bad? You should try facing down an executive. And? Sorry. Mine goes a mile a minute sometimes. Who's my place? I think. But whatever. Yeah. Maybe too many chems? Got too sharp. The firm didn't want to lose me, so they gave me a choice. Take the hi-hat and retire, or the palace. Hell, I'd be nothing without it, so I took the palace. The palace? Oh, hold up a sec. You're gonna want to see this. Stay back. Daryl stopped them by what appeared to be a small pond. Looked innocent enough, with reeds and little glowing things sticking out of the water. Daryl grabbed a medium-sized rock and threw it in the direction of one of the glowing reeds. When it hit the water, there was an explosion of sound as a big creature leapt out of the water and roared. Red was startled. The creature looked like some lizard frog thing with long glowing appendage growing out of its head. It roared again, looked around, and seeing nothing, slowly disappeared beneath the waves again. That's Monty. Don't know what other people call him, but he's a tricky one. Almost caught me a couple years ago. That glowy end thing makes you think it's something else. Jesus. Is there anything in this damn swamp that ain't trying to kill you? Daryl just shrugged and let her pass the pond. After about a half mile, they came upon an old house, half sunken into the muck. There was a sign in front of it that read, Excelsior Model Home, the home of the future. Home of the future, huh? Well, they ain't wrong, I guess. Lazy copy. Couldn't come up with something original? Why I made partner. Gave the clients what they wanted and made it snazzy. Daryl led Red into the house and up some broken stairs to the second floor. Unlike the ground floor, this one was dry and looked like Daryl repaired the roof and most of the doors, making it at least habitable. By the standards of the mire, of course. Nothing like my Park Avenue apartment. Ah, those were the days. Cocktails and parties. Parties and cocktails. Day tripper for everyone, too. Red put her pack down in the corner, but kept her rifle close. Daryl kept muttering to himself as he rummaged around in an old bureau before emerging with two cans of cram. He tossed one to Red while prying open the other and wolfing it down with his fingers. Red turned the can this way and that, trying to judge whether or not she should eat it. It's fine! Got these out of an old trailer a few miles from here. Locked up tight. Last forever if you don't open them. Good old preservatives. One of our best clients, too. If you say so. Red took her knife and tried to open the top. It didn't smell rancid, but then again, it didn't smell all that great either. She was extremely hungry, though, so Red ate a few bites, and when it didn't turn her stomach, she finished the rest of the can before laying it back down on the floor. Darling, you was saying about the palace? Palace of the Winding Path. Lovely place. Great people. Dumb meditation. Affirmations. All kinds of stuff to keep our minds off the chems. Cost a fortune, let me tell you. But worth every penny. Best part? If you still needed a hit or two, you could get it. Cost more, but it was all hush-hush. But they would tell the boys back at the office how well I was doing. Planning a big party for when I got back. Was gonna get a raise, too. What happened? Damn commie bombs. Cause someone couldn't keep it in the pants, it fucked everything up. No more job, no more corner office, hell, no more Big Apple. But what can you do, right? The nice folks at the palace kept things going. Got real good at meditating. Even learned how to garden and shoot crossbows for hunting. Made our own chems, too. But I missed the fuzzy ones. Daryl had this wistful look in his eyes. Then we met Margie. Nice woman. Said she was a raider or whatnot with the diehards. Guess that might have been a joke, cause she sure didn't act like a raider. Even got her doing meditation a few times. 
Liked her a lot. So where was this palace? Far from here. Like, on the other side of Appalachia. You should have seen the place. Like, big oriental buildings, like, out of Marco Polo or something. Marco Polo? Like the kids game we done played in the pond? <laughs> That's funny. Nah, like big Chinese castles. Call me castles. <laughs> and that Kami's little lady. Uh, it's, it's just so hard to explain. Had to be there, I guess. Good times. Good times. Daryl's voice trailed off as a darkness seemed to settle upon his face. The good times never last, do they? And when they ended, it really flipped the script on all of us. Darling? You okay? What happened? Woke us up in the middle of the night. Thought it was Raiders, but Maji would never allow that. Let this big light in my face and couldn't see much, just that they were taking everyone. Lots of screaming and cussing. Then they started shooting the troublemakers. That shut everyone up. Shit. Never knew the palace had a back entrance, but it did. We all ended up in the basement, and these folks in white coats separated us into groups. Just pointed at someone, and then they got blindfolded and moved. Did that to all of us. That's when shit got really weird. Daryl reached into his pack and took out several syringes. Red had no idea what they were, but before she could say anything, Daryl injected all of them into his arms. <sighs> That's fucking better, man. Need the fuzzies. Don't want to think about the underside. Damn white coats and gray heads. They kept us all in cages. Did funny things to us that weren't goddamn funny. Screaming all night. Shuffling janitors and mumbles. All the fucking mumbles. All I wanted was chems, man. Just not those kinds of chems. Daryl's eyes had gone all dark, and nothing he was saying made any sense. Red looked down to make sure the safety of her rifle was off, just in case. Making fucking monsters. So many white coats, so many needles. People that weren't people can't write a script if you don't got hands no more. Give those palace guys credit. Meditation until the end. Spirit guides and pretty fluffy clouds, but we don't get clouds, just concrete tunnels and mumbles. All the poking and prodding, not the good kind of chems. Fuzzy for all the wrong reasons. Just wanted to go back home. Like did the apple, trade anything for a good martini. Daryl's eyes focused on Red and he smiled. A crooked, broken kind of smile. Was he something really funny? He didn't wait for Red to respond and said pulling off his glove and holding his hand up in front of his face. Oh my god. Daryl had webbed fingers. Not just webbed, but they were scaly too. Just like a lizard, tipped with little claws. No god here, Red. Whitecoats did this. Did this to all of us. Some better, most worse. Screaming. Lots of screaming. Not all real screams, though, because they needed mouths for that. And some didn't have one. Don't know how long, because it was always black. No sun, no sky in underside. Red crawled backwards and pointed a rifle at Daryl. Just what the hell are you? Sorry. Sorry, Red. I'm not going to hurt you, I swear. Not like the white coats. Not me. I'm just fuzzy is all. Not enough chems. I gotta get away from Underside before they can finish me. I am not a monster. I am not a monster! Okay. Calm down there, mister. I don't want to hurt you, but you ain't right. <laughs> not right at all. Can't fix me. Need more chems. Stay away from Underside. I got away, you see. Escaped. Mumbles helped. Didn't ask why. Just ran. Can't find me here. Can't dig, you see. Too much water. Water, water everywhere. Heard that once or twice. Red had seen plenty of crazy in her time, but this Daryl fellow was something else entirely. Probably a cross of too many chems and the rads. Not a ghoul, but some other type of mutant. And the ramblings about this underside? Crazy is as crazy does. Well, Daryl, 
I think I best be going. It's not safe. It's never safe. Stay in the water, Red. Diggers, don't let the diggers get you. I'm sorry. It's the chems. All fuzzy. Really miss my office. Did I tell you I once wrote for Nuka-Cola? Maybe I did. I write the best scripts. Heard they were throwing me a party once I get home. Did you know that? Red watched as Daryl seemed to be winding down. Maybe the chems were finally wearing off, or maybe he was just plumb out of crazy. She didn't know which, but sharing a space with whatever he was didn't appeal to her much either. I'm much obliged for your help there, Daryl, but I gotta keep moving. Got my own places to be. I do hope you get that party of yours, but it'll be a real hootenanny. You think so? Yeah, cocktails for everyone. Oh yes, that would be the best. Get back to the Big Apple, 7th Avenue. Daryl put his mutated hands on his head and started to cry. Red just backed out slowly out of the room and closed the door, taking a deep breath. The further she traveled into the mire, the weirder things got. Nothing Daryl said made a lick of sense to her, and she had her own problems to deal with. At least now, she knew a few more things to avoid that might kill her. And if she ever wanted to get out of here, she needed to find that package. Adjusting the old cowboy hat on her head, Red headed back out into the swamp, careful to stay away from any of those glowing reeds. She disappeared into the rising mist, hoping beyond hope that she was getting closer to her goal. Daryl was busy injecting himself with another dose of Day Tripper, one of his last. Somewhere in his drug-addled brain, he thought he needed to go find some more, but it was just one of those thousand thoughts vying for attention within a very broken mind. The door slowly opened and he turned his head, trying to focus. Old Red, is that you? Did you miss me? Hello, Daryl. Is that you, Bobby? Did you hear about my promotion? They're throwing me a party. That's great news, Daryl. I even brought you a gift. Really? Oh, what did you bring me? Wait, you're not Bobby. Oh god, no. No! I'm not going back to Underside. Not again! Don't worry, Daryl. We don't need you anymore. Gray Nine to command. Go ahead, Gray Nine. Status? Following the courier is ordered. We'll rendezvous with the rest of the team in six hours to continue tracking. My gut tells me we're close. We don't rely on instinct, Gray Nine. We need that package. Of course. I also found Subject D-135. He had contact with the courier. The courier compromised? Negative. Good. And the status of D-135? Terminated. Excellent. Another loose end taken care of. Beta team will be relieved. Initiate burn protocol and report back when you've made the rendezvous. Understood. Gray 9 out. Hi, I'm Fire Rider, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. 
every week we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. McDonald? Hey, McDonald! You still in there? If you can hear me, blink twice. Lola stood in front of a large holding cell, clipboard in hand as she continued to take notes on the effects of her latest FEV experiment. Come on, McDonald. I think you're sulking. Remember, this is all for science. Alright, how about waving a tentacle? Can you do that? The hulking form in the cell threw itself at the clear plexiglass, shaking the floor and walls. Well, you're obviously in no mood to talk. So disappointing. Lola pressed a large red button on the wall, flooding the cell with gas, quickly rendering the subject unconscious. The hulking form slid to the floor, leaving a trail of viscous slime on the glass. Lola pulled out a photo mode camera from her lab coat and started taking pictures. The thing that used to be McDonald wasn't even vaguely human-shaped anymore. Six long, whip-like tentacles had emerged from its back, while the arms had shrunken down to mere nubs. And the legs were as wide as tree trunks, with no visible toes, just fleshy feet, leaving the head and body to appear just as a mass of bumpy flesh with a mouth filled with misshapen teeth and a long, slime-covered tongue. The eyes, if they were still actually eyes, had migrated to two different parts of where the head used to be, looking in opposite directions. It was quite fascinating, and unexpected. This particular sample had combined Snallygaster and Grafton Monster FEV, but Lilith had been confident that she had removed the most of the mutated DNA strands. Oh well, back to the drawing board. But at least it wasn't boring. Lilith tucked the pencil behind her ear and walked back into the lab. Over the past few weeks, she had learned a great deal about FEV. There were innumerable ways the viral code could be rearranged to highlight various forms of mutation. Lilith had already identified strains that had created the supermutants, another for Snallyglaster, and a very interesting one that might have resulted in a nearly unrecognizable form of the grafted monster. Unfortunately, every strain she had access to was nowhere near producing the results of a strain her father injected her with when she was just a baby. What was so special about dear old dad's concoction? So many questions? So few answers. But that's the fun part. Now, if only I could find Sight C. Who knew Dad was so good at hide and seek? Lilith had first discovered references to Sight C in her father's terminal back in Vault 76. Then more information about it in his notes he'd left behind in his basement lab underneath the house that he and her mom had lived in back in Berkeley Springs. As far as she could tell, her dad had moved all of his primary research, including all the remaining samples of his version of FEV, to some off-site location, and he didn't bother to tell anyone where it was. Hmm, maybe I should have asked a question or two before I blew him up. Lilith just shrugged her shoulders. Can't make an omelet without breaking some skulls, as she always said. She had been poring over her father's notes from Berkeley Springs, trying to find anything related to where his other lab might be. But she kept coming back to that unauthorized access attempt back in 2086. Mighty peculiar, that one. 
always suspected old Modus was poking around, but never found anything. Who else in Appalachia would be looking for Dad? I mean, they're probably dead now, but if not, oh, now that would be exciting. Lola skipped over to the other test cages. So far, while she had created a host of very interesting mutations, none of them represented a significant improvement over what could be found in the wild. Not that she had run out of ideas. Far from it, in fact. She had sent Malgus out to Charleston to collect more specimens. There was a group of super mutants down by the Hornwright Industries building, and Lilith wanted to run some tests on their blood, and compare it to her own. Lilith was completely absorbed in her work, snipping various DNA strands for her next sample, but she didn't hear Malgus come in until he dropped a dead mutant hat on the floor, followed by the severed head of a super mutant. I've brought what you've requested, Harold. Malgus, I thought I said to bring them in alive. My deepest apologies, Harold. It was difficult enough to secure these, and they would not be taken alive. Oh, Pooh. The big green guys gave you that much trouble. Malgus's armor showed the telltale sign of weapons fire, along with a large gouge in the side exposing some of the internal wiring. These abominations were different, Harold. I cannot say for sure, but they fought like demons. Demons? That does sound interesting. Still, a shame they aren't live, but at least they're fresh. I'll take it from here, Malgus. Looks like you could use a rest. Thank you, Harold. Only a brief one, as I must ensure the safety of this facility and your good work. Aww. Malgus managed a thin smile, wrinkling the burn scars which took up most of that side of his face, before turning and walking out of the lab. Lilith clapped her hands together and went over to collect the specimens. Malgus was a man of few words, and for him to complain about how difficult it was to deal with the super mutants, well, that got Lilith very interested. The mutant hound had died of a broken skull, that much was immediately obvious. However, its physical characteristics were slightly different than the others she's examined, even more so than her own two pet mutant hounds down the hall. She'd pick up the hound and put it on one of the examination tables, before grabbing a holotape so she could record her notes. Lilith's FEV Project Log Number 15. Following in Dad's footsteps. Again. Subject is a mutant hound, maybe a late adolescent or young adult. Muscular structure appears to be more highly developed than in previous specimens, with perhaps 20 to 30% muscle mass, longer front and back legs, and a more pronounced and thicker spine. Seems to taste fine. Maybe a little tangy, but not bad at all. Reminder, ask Malgus to roast the thigh for dinner tonight. Aside from being larger, and we can't rule out that this might be a genetic aberration, it's the head and skull that appear to be the most abnormal. Using her knife, Lilith poked around the head wound, picking up bits of bone and brain. Well, this is exciting. Not only is the head bigger, but so is the brain. And these folds. This doesn't look like a typical mutant hound brain at all. Oh, I need to get a sample under the microscope and run blood tests for viral signatures. Olaf put down her knife and grabbed a set of syringes and scalpels. 
The same hands which could rip the lungs out of a Snallygaster were also skilled and fine enough to cut razor-thin slices of brain tissue and place them on a series of slides, followed by the extraction of various blood and fluid samples from several areas of the mutant hound. Glancing over at the decapitated supermutant head, Lilith smiled. Why not kill two birds with one stone, right? Lilith walked over and picked up the head, bouncing it around in the air like a little marionette before placing it next to the mutant hound on the table. Gonna need a bone saw. Glad I was able to borrow one from Ward. I'm sure he doesn't need a back or anything. Jocking back to her equipment room, Lilith soon returned with a water-cooled bone saw, borrowed from Foundation, and a set of safety glasses. Safety first. Wowzers! Did not expect to see this. Um, yeah, this thing is still on. Upon removal of this super mutant skull cap, the brain is, well, huge. Similar to the mutant town, the proportions are far beyond what I've seen before. Going to take more samples. Once again, Lilith cut fine pieces of brain matter and took the fluid samples, along with whatever little blood she could collect. She nearly ran over to her testing equipment, preparing each and every batch and sliding them into the machine. The process would take a couple of hours to complete, which involved identifying and separating out viral strands of DNA and comparing them against known samples. She also added code to compare the samples to each other, and as an extra bit, she took a sample of her own blood for one final comparison. Not that she suspected she'd find anything, but perhaps it would give her more information on how best to manipulate FEV. Abracadabra. She entered the final set of instructions and started the initial gene sequencing. Of course, it was all very anticlimactic as samples were loaded and scanned over and over again. Not one to just stay and watch, Lilith went to check on McDonald, who was doing nothing but sleeping and not very exciting. So instead, she went down the hall to play a game of fetch with her mutant hounds, Betty and Lizzie. When she opened the door, she was nearly bowled over as they pounced on their mama and gave her big licks and rubbed their heads on it, covering her with their slime. Oh, aren't you such good girls? Lilith rolled around with them before picking up a large deathclaw bone and playing tug-of-war, followed by taking them upstairs and outside to throw the bone across the old courtyard, and laughed as the two hounds constantly fought to see which one of them could bring it back. Invariably, they both get their teeth on it and run back together, which got them both scritches and head rubs from Lilith. Malgus watched from his rooftop vantage. He had to shake his head. The old god certainly had a sense of humor, tying his destiny to this herald. Deep down, hidden beneath decades of serving the old gods, there was a need to be a protector, driven by vague memories of a place once called Pittsburgh, and a mother he wasn't able to save. All right, girls. Time to go inside. Dinner time! Lilith whistled and the two mutant hounds brought their big bone back and dropped it at their mama's feet before sitting patiently. Lilith brought them both inside and downstairs to their own special room, adorned with various large plushy toys, mostly chewed to pieces, and a nearly full set of deathclaw bones, gnawed down to the marrow. Such good puppies. You're both the best. I hope Val lets me take you back to the White Spring. You'd love it there. Lilith grabbed a large wolf carcass and tossed it into the corner, followed by a whole rat stack. The two pets tore into each of them, spraying the walls with blood and gore as they ate. Oh, so cute. Letting them eat, Lilith cleaned up and walked back to the lab to check on her results. She chuckled as she thought about her father doing very similar work. If only he could see her now, 
his perfect little demon. She went to the terminal and started checking the results. At first it was more of the same. FEV identified multiple strains this time, which was unusual. Then she started getting into DNA sequencing, and that's when things really got weird. This can't be right. She double-checked for contamination and didn't find any. Lilith Alter re-ran the sequencing, hands on her hips and tapping her foot, waiting for the results. She wasn't bored anymore. She was intrigued. Oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Lilith waited a few seconds for the results to be displayed, and they were exactly the same as the first time. These were engineered. Recently, too. Sure enough, both a mutant hound and super mutant have been reinfected with a brand new strain of FEV. Not just one either, but two. The first one was active, rewriting the mutant's genetic code. Lilith suspected it was responsible for the enlarged brains and increased size and strength, but she'd need to do a more in-depth analysis to confirm. The second strain was inert. It was still FEV, but it wasn't currently infecting anything. It was just sitting in the brain tissue, its receptors coated with some kind of organic substance that prevented replication, but it also looked like it would adhere to another virus. It's genius! Lilith was fascinated by what she saw. This was no natural mutation. This was deliberate genetic splicing and recombination. Based on the changes in the viral code, it couldn't be more than a few months old, maybe even younger. The system had finished comparing the new samples against Lilith's sample. She called up the results, and her mouth fell open. Holy shit. Lilith traced her finger along the stream, stopping at one final value. 98.3% match! Even more disturbing, whoever created the strain used a process nearly identical to the one her father had described. The splicing techniques were eerily similar, like someone who knew most of the process, but perhaps missed a few steps. That wasn't possible. But everyone at West Tech is dead. For once, Lilith was at a loss for words. Her mind was racing a mile a minute trying to come up with some kind of acceptable answer. She was tapping her foot on the floor again when the animals started to howl. Lilith looked over at the cages and her experiments were going wild, howling and scratching at the cage doors. She even heard a roar from down the hall, probably McDonald finally conscious again. Then a medical tray clattered to the floor. Just what is going on? That's when she felt the vibration. The floor was beginning to shake, as were the walls. It felt like an earthquake. There were no earthquakes around here. Lola could hear something, like a freight train. As the shaking got worse, almost knocking her off her feet, forcing her to grab hold of the table to steady herself. Just as it felt like the building was going to come apart, there was a loud crash and the lights all went out. Leaving Lilith drowned in darkness. Ugh. Again. Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe. And better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Pandora Beatrix as Colonel Valeria Faustina, Lucy Middleton as Major Lilith Alistair, XO One King as Major Andrew Stein, Chrissy Williams as Trader Red, Austin Rogers as Lieutenant Jones, Jessica Starr as Commander Sophia Daguerre, Firewriter as Eugenie, Chris Smith from One Wall Comedy as Graham, Dr. William Emerson, 
Daryl and Malgus, Monty Wildhorn as Sergeant Tyson, Kirsten Harrison as Marion Copeland, Casual in a Corset as Corporal Samantha, Patrick Conway as Frederick Rivers, Daniel Hawthorne as Lieutenant Shadow, Josh Smith as Gray Nine, Eric Gold as Command, Lane McNulty as Polly and Operations, and Brad Williams as the voice of Modus. A huge shout-out to the entire Fallout community, the Chad Podcast, Once Upon a Wasteland, which just finished an awesome second season, the Robots Radio Rocket Club and the rest of the Robots Radio podcast community, and Jeremiah Johnson, our favorite character artist responsible for the wonderful artwork on our website. Stay tuned for our next exciting episode, When the Levee Breaks. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little Enclave.